Welcome into the install with Greg Cosell of NFL Films. I'm your host, Buck Rising. I'm very excited to be finally, Greg, through the preseason. The pain is over. Now we can focus on real live NFL football. Well, and, he, and in some ways even better, what we have this weekend, which is really good, is some really big-time college football games. So right. I'm actually very excited about that, to be honest with you. Well, uh, between Georgia and Clemson, you talk about Alabama yeah. and Miami. However, however big the line gets, seems to get on the uh, on the University of Miami. There are so many. There are so many great college football games this weekend. Is there is there one outside of the Big Two uh, that you're that you're most interested in? Ooh, um, I was just looking at the schedule too. So um, I think North Carolina plays Virginia Tech this weekend. Yes, it might be tomorrow night. If I'm, I mean Friday night if I'm not mistaken. Sam and, Howell. And I met Sam Howell and spent some time with him this summer, so I'm very curious to see how he does. Um, I'm curious, uh, who does Wisconsin play? Is that Penn State, right? Wisconsin has Penn State. Uh, yeah, my, my Indiana Hoosiers against Iowa. They're yeah, top 25, a of, baby. A lot of good Big Ten games this weekend. Yeah, no, I'm. I, we're all excited to have not not you know UCLA versus Hawaii, but real college. Well, football. LSU UCLA, that's a good one as well. That is going to be a great matchup, yeah. and and Chip Kelly seems to legitimately have made strides there, which yeah. kind of caught me off guard after how the last couple of seasons have gone. But today we're going to focus on well, wh- how we're going to do these next two weeks, given that we have two weeks basically until the season begins. Is Greg and I thought that we'd break down the six most interesting games of Week One and dissect them here into in a two-part podcast. So, Greg, I want to start with the Dolphins and the Patriots, mostly because the Patriots are the most significant news in football right now. They cut Cam Newton, probably the biggest roster transaction of the day yesterday, and they're opting to go with Mac Jones, the starting quarterback. What, What, Greg, I guess in as simple terms as I can ask it, what has happened to Cam Newton over the course of his career? There's probably a... a couple of different ways to go at that question with an answer. Yeah. And I I would start this way. Number one, I've been told by people who were there every day watching him that he's definitely lost something as a passer. Now, I'm not there every day. I can only respond to what I've been told. Right. But the one thing I can tell you just from watching his tape a year ago, and even when he was at his best, and he was certainly a great player for a number of years, a league MVP in his Super Bowl season, is Cam Newton was never truly a timing rhythm player. That wasn't his game. There's many ways to play quarterback in the NFL and be very good at it. There's not just one way. And Cam Newton played a certain way. And obviously his size and his high level athleticism added to what he he was as a passer, always had a big arm, power thrower, but he wasn't truly a timing rhythm player and he did have scattershot tendencies. So now you think about what the Patriots under Josh McDaniels have been, obviously they had Tom Brady, but Tom Brady is a certain kind of player. He's really good at being that kind of player. And that offense has always been built on precision timing, a sense of rhythm, the ball coming out, the precise ball location of Brady That's what Josh McDaniels wants his pass game to look like. And that's not Cam Newton. Even when Cam Newton was at his best, that's not what he was. And you you could watch tape from a year ago. You could watch the preseason. And, of course, I did all this. And even when Cam threw good balls, 
He's just not that style of quarterback. Right. Now, we don't know what Mac Jones will be, but there's not really a mystery to the style of quarterback he is. He's that style of player. His game is built on timing, rhythm, precise ball placement, getting it out of his hands. That's who he is as a quarterback. And that absolutely fits what Josh McDaniels wants his quarterback to be. And he'll have a stiff test in week one. The Miami Uh, Dolphins defense is no joke whatsoever. Greg, the turnaround there when Brian Flores took over is insane to me. We've talked a little bit about this defense before, but kind kind of explain to the audience what exactly makes them so ferocious, not just up front, but as the defense as a whole. Well, I'm a little nuts with it, with this stuff, as you know. Even Coach Mack would think I'm a little nuts, but I watched all of their third down plays, okay, yeah. from last year. So that that's a little crazy. Um, but when you watch them, the things that stand out, which makes it a, a tough matchup for a young quarterback, and particularly a rookie quarterback, is they're incredibly multiple with their front looks. They, they move people around quite a bit. Uh, they play often – they align in what we call an amoeba front where no one has their hand on the ground. So people are just kind of milling about. Now that makes it difficult on the old line as well, because they have to try to identify which five of those players milling about are the offensive linemen going to block, but the quarterback has to know that as well. Right. So they're very difficult up front Uh, in many ways, because it's Brian Flores who comes from the Belichick school. So Belichick will know all this and they'll be able to coach up. Mac Jones, but their front multiplicity and coverage consistency because they play a ton of man-to-man coverage. But they also do things within the man concepts that can sometimes create some problems for a quarterback because um, oftentimes they'll play cover one, which is a, a post-safety, a single high safety, but they'll take a free defender, uh, in, in particularly when they play with six defensive backs, and he kind of roams. He he kind of helps to bracket certain players or double certain players, and you just don't know. So this is a tough defense to play against for a rookie quarterback in his first NFL start. The advantage that Mac Jones will have is Bill Belichick knows Brian Flores extremely well, and Bill will have him prepared, but it's 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 not going to be an easy go. No, certainly not. And, and it, it was something that saw the Dolphins almost in playoff contention a year ago, despite how they changed their quarterbacks out and how the offense, how Tua really seemed to, I don't want to call it quite a redshirt season, but he seemed to still be grasping the concepts of that offense as things went along. So to that point, Greg, with Tua Tonga-Vailoa and the Miami offense, we know what they lacked as far as skill position talent last year. They've done well to address that. Certainly you, you saw you saw Tua have moments where he found his rhythm and found his stride, but those seem to be few and far between. What what stands out about this Miami offense and Tua Tonga-Vailoa specifically understanding what kind of a sample size we had of him last year? And it's a different offense now. They change coordinators. Right. Uh, but I think when you look at Tua, and I think people around the league realize this, and this is what he is, this is what his college tape told you as well, in some ways, he's similar to Mac Jones in that he's a rhythmic player. Tua has really quick feet on his drop and is set in the pocket. Really good, what we call ball carriage, where he holds the ball. He can get the ball out quick. He's very good in the quick game, the three-step drop game, the quick five-step drop game. Very 
precise with his ball location on those kinds of throws that relate to three-step and five-step drops. So he's a very rhythmic player. I think he throws a good deep ball. And when I say deep ball, those are not arm strength throws. If you're going to throw a fade or a post, those are not arm strength throws. Those are rhythm throws. Those are timing throws. So I think that we know what Tua is as well. And obviously they've really increased their uh, talent at the skill position. I don't think Will Fuller is a week one player, though. I, I, I'm, I'm almost sure he's not. But still, and we're talking about week one now, but as the season progresses, I think this is a team that has a lot of talent. I mean, look, they've got Jalen Waddell. They've got Devontae Parker. They've got Will Fuller. They've got and they've got Kaseki, who's yeah. a, you know, a kind of a long striding tight end who can work at the intermediate and deeper levels because of his stride length and his size. So they've got a lot of weapons and they're, they're another, they're a difficult team to, to defend as well. Um, we'll see how Bill Belichick goes about this. He will not have Stefan Gilmore. Will he continue to play the high percentage of man coverage that the Patriots have been well known for and have played extremely well over the last number of years? Or will Bill feel, you know, without that quality corner out there, will he decide in this game to play more zone? We've seen him do that over the years when he feels it's necessary. Uh, so this is a really intriguing matchup on both sides of the ball. One of the really good week one matchups. Yeah, without question. Uh, something that stood out to me as I was kind of researching what what these games were going to look like and strategic tendencies uh, as best I could is I noticed that, and understanding that Miami's changed their offensive coordinator, they ran 13% of their snaps on offense last year out of the pistol formation. That's only second to Baltimore. And I'm wondering, Greg, what, what are the advantages of the pistol formation for this kind of offense understanding that they've since upgraded their talent on the outside. Well, the general consensus with the pistol as opposed to the shotgun is people feel that it gives you a more complete run game uh, because the back is still an eye back. It's just the quarterback's not under center, but the back's an eye back. So you have a complete run game in the minds of many uh, that can work effectively to either side of the formation, whereas often times in the shotgun, people believe that there's some limitations to what you can do in the run game. So that would be the benefit of the pistol when it comes to the run game. Um, Other than that, I don't don't know exactly why they did that a year ago. Um, I don't know if they'll do that this year. That's, again, you know, we don't really know the answer to that. Um, And and the preseason does not give you enough to really make that kind of judgment. Don't tell Urban Meyer that. He's out there trying to show his hand in week two of the preseason. Love him, love him, love him to death for that. But it was something that made me laugh with, with the with the defense, and then we'll move on to the Steelers and the Bills. The defense for the Patriots, Greg. Nobody had more opt outs than that side of the ball yeah. in 2020. So I I don't want to scrap everything that we saw from that unit a year ago. Certainly they struggled against the play action pass more than more than anybody except for the Tennessee Titans. But is it was it just a talent disparity that plagued them, or was there something schematically that teams were taking advantage of? Are you talking? Are you talking about New England? New England, yes. Yeah, I mean New England. Look, they're going to have a good defense. They've right. got a lot of really good players. Obviously, um, uh, Gilmore is out. Um, J.C. Jackson, and he. I remember watching him in Maryland, and he was one I got right because I really liked his tape coming out of Maryland. And I know he had some off the field stuff because he had transferred there, I think from a from a Florida school, but he had some issues. Um, 
looks like Jalen Mills is going to be the corner opposite. You know, um, we'll see. I mean, I, I, I saw Jalen Mills here in Philly for years. I think you can line him up at corner. I don't know if that's what you want to do all year long. But I think with Hightower back, with Matthew Judon, who I think is a really good player and fits the Belichick mold because he can line up in multiple positions. He can rush the quarterback. He can play in space. They have Van Noy back. Van Noy is just that same kind of player. Van Noy is not a numbers guy. He's not going to get you 12 sacks or 150 tackles, but he can do a lot of things. And the player who stood out to me at times a year ago and for whatever it's worth, really stood out in the preseason was Josh Uche, the second-year player from the University of Michigan, who I think is going to end up being a good edge pass rusher for them, and they really haven't had that guy in recent years. Yeah, and and upgrading their talent this year, certainly with Christian Barmore after he slid a little bit out of the uh, first round, the defensive tackle out of Alabama. So to the Steelers and the Bills, another fantastic matchup in this week one slate. We've talked, Greg, a lot about what their what the Steelers offense looked like a year ago, the inability to run the ball, poor, poor offensive line play uh in front of Roethlisberger and and the running backs. So many, so many empty backfield sets from Pittsburgh yeah. a year ago. I, I guess was that born out of necessity because of the run game, or do they do they have a legitimate strategic advantage in those sets? Well, I, I I think, Buck, you almost have, to me anyway, I think you almost have to put last year aside a little bit for this reason. I don't think you draft Najee Harris in the first round to run the offense they ran a year ago. Right. I just don't think you do that. I mean, you draft Najee Harris, to me, he's a volume runner. You don't draft Najee Harris to give him the ball seven times a game. He is a physical, sustaining, grinding back who – remarkably showed significant improvement as a runner from 2020 uh, in 2020 from his 2019 tape. He looked quicker. He looked more laterally explosive. I think you draft him to change the way you play your offense because last year, I don't have this number in front of me, but Roethlisberger, there were numerous games in which by choice, they dropped big Ben back 40, 45, 50 times. Yeah. First of all, I don't think Roethlisberger is capable of that anymore. I think second of all, their offensive line is a work in progress. And with a young offensive line or an unproven offensive line, to me, you'd much rather have them come off the ball going forward and hitting people rather than pass protecting and and, uh, being reactive to pass rushers. So I think their downfield pass game will be play action off their run game. And yes, sure, will there be times when they do spread it out as a part of their offense? Absolutely. But they also drafted Pat Fryermuth, the uh, Penn State tight end in the second round. And now they've in a situation where they can line up in 12 personnel with two tight ends with Fryermuth and Ebron. And Fryermuth is really good on third down. He's really good in the red zone. He reminded me, and, and I didn't know he was going to be drafted by Pittsburgh, but he very much reminded me of Steeler tight end Heath uh, Miller, who played there for years and years and was probably a notch below a Hall of Fame player. Fryermuth reminded me very much of that style of player. So I, I think this Steelers offense will be very, very different from the one that we saw a year ago. Uh, they certainly have a type when it comes to tight ends. Uh, on the other side, we know that the Steelers defense is fearsome. We know that they boast, even without Bud Dupree, one of the best defensive fronts in the NFL and Josh Allen on the other side of this matchup 
It took a leap forward like I don't think many people could anticipate after seeing the first two years of what his career had borne out to be. Josh Allen against the Blitz was something that I think stood out the most last year, Greg, as to where he really took a step forward in terms of recognition. How will Pittsburgh try and disrupt what Josh Allen does based on that knowledge? Well, I think we have a template. These teams played week 14 a year ago, which was obviously late in the season. Um, and and the, the Steelers were very, very aggressive. Now, the Bills in that game, one thing the Bills did more than any team in the league a year ago was line up in what we call 10 personnel, meaning one back and four wide receivers. And they did that a fair amount against the Steelers a year ago. But the, the Steelers played a lot of dime in that game, particularly on third down, six defensive backs. They were very aggressive. Uh, they played a lot of man coverage. They blitzed quite a bit. Um, they doubled and bracketed Stephon Diggs at times, depending on where he was lined up. Um, so the Steelers did a lot of things, but they were very aggressive. They had multiple pressure concepts. Um, they had high percentage blitz, particularly in the first half. They they sort of slowed down a bit in the second half as the game progressed. But it was it, we know how the Steelers played a year ago. We'll see if they take a similar approach because, quite honestly, even though the Bills won that game, that was not a big, big game for Josh Allen. The Steelers' defense did pretty well in that game. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. But um, obviously the Steelers, though, have lost some people. Their secondary is going to be a little different. Steven Nelson was there a year ago at corner, and, um, you know, he's gone now. He's with the Eagles. So we'll see how they choose to play. I think they're still trying to figure out um, – well, they obviously know the answer to this. Maybe we don't yet. But we'll see who's going to play opposite Joe Hayden, you know, who's going to be the outside corner, um, whether it's Cam Sutton uh, or whether it's someone else. With the Bills' defense, Greg, they got so much better as the year went on in a way that was clear and obvious to everybody. We know the background of the head coach, of course, with Sean McDermott, but what what did you see? Did they did they change what they were doing from the start of the season to how things wore on, or was there legitimate development up front? Or could I mean, I assume both things could be so, but what did you see on tape from the Bills' defense? I think it's development because I think – see, I think there's a sense when people think of Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier that this is a defense that doesn't blitz a lot, that plays a lot of zone coverage, and they're really not like that because I watched a ton of Bills defense as well this summer because, they, you know, I tried to watch the good teams. And the Bills, when they're in third down, particularly third and long – I mean, they played a ton of different concepts, a ton. So this is not just a defense where you say, oh, okay, they play, they play cover four zone and they rush four and, and they're very fundamentally sound. They are fundamentally sound, but they do a whole lot more than you think. Now, the thing to keep in mind, and we'll see how they go in this game, particularly if the Steelers line up in base personnel and try to run the ball. But last year, in 2020, the Bills played in their nickel defense, five defensive backs, 90% of their snaps, Buck. It's insane. Think about that. It's 90%. insane. That's insane. Yeah. Now, so the question is, if they feel that the Steelers are going to come out and run the ball out of base personnel with a 230-pound man-child back in, in Najee Harris, are they going to play in their nickel? My sense is no, that they would go with, it, with a 4-3 and get that third linebacker on the field. That would be it would be negligence if they decided to come out that way against Najee Harris, especially if you read the reports that are coming out of Pittsburgh. They physically have to pull this dude out of the facility on a nightly basis. It's crazy 
to see the kind of work ethic that somebody like that displays and the kind of talent that he already has. Uh, the last game on the board for Greg and myself today in this first part of the week one breakdowns that we'll be doing are the Colts and the Seahawks, a game obviously that has great interest to Titans fans, understanding that they'll see the Seahawks in week two, but with, with all that's happening to Indianapolis, Greg, yeah, and understand, I mean, there could not be, they remind me of the chargers in years past where they just continue. They just seem to be one of the most snake bitten teams in the NFL before the season even begins. So you go into that with that understanding and Carson Wentz, you know, returning from injury to straight to the COVID list uh, without a vaccination. So that creating problems for them, but on on the off on the offensive side of the ball, I want to start with the Seahawks because they changed their offensive coordinator. Shane Waldron is now the person calling the plays in Seattle, and Russell Wilson has been outspoken about you know as outspoken as Russell gets about certain things, whether it be protection or the the level of talent in front of him or how often they're running the ball. What what do we know about Shane Waldron, if anything, at this point, and well, how can they further maximize Russell Wilson? Well, what we know is that he came from the Rams. So the question is, and of course, we didn't see this in the preseason because Russell Wilson didn't play, um, is what their offense is going to look like. I personally think a Rams-style offense with a heavy emphasis on the quarterback under center and outside zone run action and the play action pass game working off that with tighter reduced splits by the wide receivers helping to define the throws would be very good for Russell Wilson because as good as Russell Wilson is Russell Wilson is really much more of a second reaction player excuse me than he is kind of a rhythmic pocket player and over the last part of last season he did not play very well he he broke down a lot on his own he broke down prematurely uh, which of course made his offensive line look even worse and he got he gets sacked a lot. He's always gotten sacked a lot. I think if if Shane Waldron is going to run that style offense, that would help Russell Wilson an awful lot. It would also help the offensive line, by the way, an awful lot, because you have to think of it this way. When you run outside zone and play action off of that, when you run the hard stretch outside zone, how does the defensive line move initially? They move laterally, Buck, right. because they're playing the run game and it's outside zone. So they're taking a step or two laterally before they start an upfield pass rush. And that gives the quarterback more time to settle into the pl- pocket. Plus, there's a deeper element, a deep pass game element to that style of, of run action. And we know they have Metcalf, who at 6'4", 230, is a, is, is a 4'3 guy, and Lockett, who can also get deep. So it gives them, I think, so much more, assuming that's the offense they're going to run, and my guess is it will be. Uh, how how similar is that, uh, just, just out of curiosity, to the way that the Seahawks, when they were going to the Super Bowls early on with the Legion of Boom and Marshawn Lynch in the backfield, and Russell Wilson, more more of a caretaker. How yeah. how close of a return to center is that based on the concept that you've just described? Well, I think it's a little different. You know, I think those teams were built on the run game and on defense. I don't think this offense, while while it's while the foundation starts with wide zone, I I'm not sure. I would say, and maybe people who know more about it than I would would disagree. I don't think it's built on the run game in, in necessarily in terms of volume. It's built on the run game in terms of philosophical and conceptual approach. And those are two different things. You know, there are teams we know they're going to just hand the ball off to the back. I mean, Tennessee, we know Tennessee's run game 
they feature wide, you know, outside zone as well. But they're they're a true volume run game. We know that if they're playing the way they want to play, and the game is playing the way they want it to play out, we know Derrick Henry every week is going to get twenty plus carries. I don't know if that's exactly how this offense will be, but conceptually, I think it will still be structured around the the wide zone run game as its starting point. And certainly when they play the Colts in week one, they know who they'll be targeting because offenses threw 41% of their passes to the right side at Rock Yassin, the Indianapolis Colts defensive back who is extremely underwhelmed throughout the on a really, really good defense. It seems to be the secondary being Matt Eberflus's biggest uh, biggest flaw with his unit. What what do we know about this Colts defense, Greg, and, and what made them so good a year ago? Well, we know a couple of things. Number one, we know that their front seven's very good. They've got Darius Leonard, one of the three best three-down linebackers in the league. Bobby Okarecki is going to be one of those guys pretty soon as well. They're very good up front. Um, the, the big question is, obviously, the corner opposite Xavier Rhodes, and Brock Yassin struggled last year and, in fact, got benched for a veteran T.J. Carey who's been with a bunch of teams who's still there. Um, they play cover two more than any team in the league. They are not a heavy blitz team. So when you play the Colts, you have a pretty good feel going in what you're going to see. You're going to see a four-man rush with one of the best interior rushers in the league and DeForest Buckner there. You're going to see cover two. Now, they also do play, obviously, man cover one. Everybody does. But they, as I said, they play more cover two than any team in the league. So you have a pretty good sense of how you can attack them in the pass game. Um, and so we'll see. But that that's what the Colts are defensively. And the other thing that the Colts do when they play uh, mobile quarterbacks is they will use Darius Leonard as a, as a spy. And I think you'll see that because of Russell Wilson for sure. So we know that the change from Philip Rivers to Carson Wentz is not an insignificant one at quarterback. We know the principles that Frank Reich and his offense like to run. Uh, something that interesting and in kind of studying up on on this particular game and this particular offense, Greg, that they had a league high forty three percent of their sacks that were non pressure sacks, coverage sacks, or failed scrambles. It, with this offense, was that a product of something that Rivers was doing, or is there something conceptually that kind of stands out that would create that pressure or lack thereof? Well, we know Rivers can't move. So, right. I mean, that's, you know, I think you have to factor that into the equation. Um, and, and again, at this point, we don't know if Carson Wentz is the week one starter, as, as you and I are talking today. I mean, it could be Jacob Eason because, it, you know, it's not going to be Sam Ellinger. He's out. And I think Eason is the better option anyway, even if Ellinger was healthy. So it could well be Jacob Eason who, you know, had some moments in the, in the preseason. He's a big physical kid. I mean, he, he was that size with that kind of throwing ability when he was in high school. Um, you know, Seattle's defense has been up and down the last couple of years. They've not been able to rush the quarterback. They hope they can do that better this year with the people they have. Um, they've lost some people in the secondary. Obviously, Griffin is now with Jacksonville, Shaquille Griffin. So so Seattle's defense is a little bit of a work in progress as well. So uh, we'll see. You know, like I said, it's hard. It's hard to know right now who will be the quarterback. They said Carson Wentz has healed really well, but then he went on the COVID list. So uh, I guess he comes off at the end of this week. And, uh, you know, he's a veteran. So uh, he does know Frank Reich's offense from his days in Philly. 
So maybe he doesn't need a lot of time, you know, to get ready, assuming his foot's okay. Uh, I, I I fear that it's not going to be the last time we talk about personnel being affected by the COVID list, Greg. Uh, that would be my sense. What What, what is Jamal Adams? <laughs> just, just as simple That's as that. Great what is question. That's a great <laughs> question. He's, you know, he's, a, he's at his best closer to the line of scrimmage. He blitzes an awful lot, but a very good friend of mine out in Seattle who does a lot of this kind of work and, and really breaks it down and literally charts every play gave me the numbers uh, for Seattle's defense when, when Jamal Adams blitzed last year, and the numbers were bad. Yeah. So he's he's a very good blitzer. Um, he's not. It's not as if he can't play on the back end, but that's not his strength. He's not a post safety, a single high safety. Can he play in, in split safety coverage? Sure, he can play in split safety coverage and do certain things. One of the things he can do well, which relates to his downhill ability, is if you want to play two-man coverage, meaning man across the board with two deep safeties, if you get, let's say, he would he would likely play to the boundary where you limit his range and because he's not that guy. But if the X receiver, the single receiver to the boundary, let's say, immediately runs a, a shallow cross or a drive route, he, he's very good at what we call cutting that route. He can get downhill and cut that route really well. But he's not a true back-end player. So he's he's really good going forward. He blitzes well. He's very good against the run. The question is, does he limit what you can do schematically on, on, on your defense? Because there are some things you, you probably don't want him to do. I just I found that contract fascinating when they when they yeah I don't worry about the numbers I mean he's just the next man up you know it's going to happen with the next quarterbacks up who you know whether it's Baker Mayfield or or Lamar it's just that's the way it works and Lamar's representing himself so Godspeed I think it's going to be interesting to watch that play out Greg three games down three games to go actual football actual starters we are so close to the NFL season. And we can't wait to break it all down for you right here on this podcast. Make Greg happy. Leave us a review. Leave us five <laughs> stars on Apple Podcasts. That's all you got to do. The man works too hard for you to not pay him back that way. And, Greg, I appreciate the time as always. We'll, get, we'll do it again next week, and then there will be football. And we'll talk Titans next week with their game. It's a very big week one game. It's going to be spicy. I'm looking forward to seeing it. No Malcolm Butler, which is going to complicate yeah. that for Arizona. <laughs>